You're listening to a presentation of Arising, a community of faith designed to see people far from God raise a true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Hey, so what is the biggest decision that you've ever had to make in your life? What's the biggest decision you've ever had to make in your life? See, see we make decisions on a daily basis, right? But, but some decisions that we make uh, impact us and other people more than others. Some decisions that we make hold more weight than others. And so for you, I wonder, what is the biggest decision that you've ever had to make in your life? Maybe, maybe for some of you, it was uh, the, the decision to accept a job that would require you to move across the country. Right? For, for others, maybe it was a decision on, on, on what school that you're going to go to. For, for, for others, perhaps it was uh, the decision on um, uh, who, who you were going to marry. Right? And uh, so, so I wonder for you, what is the biggest decision you've ever made in your life? So, so, so just, just think through that because for, for some, maybe also, uh, are you guys hearing some, uh, some whale weird? Yeah, gotcha. Uh, let's see, maybe, I, I don't know if it's me or, because uh, you guys can't keep listening to me like that. You're like, what is that? So, so, so but really, what, what, so, so, so let's try this again. The, the biggest decision you've ever made in your life, um, for, for some, it might be the decision to, uh, to have a baby. For, for others of you, it might have been the decision to continue on with the pregnancy. For, for, for others, perhaps it was the decision to give up for adoption. Or maybe it was, was to adopt. What, what is the biggest decision you've ever made in your life? Maybe, maybe it was the decision to end the relationship. For some, it was the decision to persevere through the relationship because you look back and you say, no, we said I do and I do and I'm going to stick in this. The biggest decision. So think about it. You got it? Good. Whatever that decision is, and I'm sure it's a big one, there is actually a decision that you and I have to make that's much bigger than that. It, it's a decision that, that is the most important decision that we'll ever make in our life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The most important decision that we'll ever make in our life. We're concluding this series today called The Day Everything Changed. And uh, in this series, we've been talking about three different days in the life and ministry of Jesus when everything changed. We, we, we took a look at the day that Jesus was born. We took a look at the day that Jesus was crucified. And then the day that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And we said these three days are days that everything changed. Because when Jesus was born, it was God putting on flesh and living among us. And it let us know that God was with us. And so that changes everything because God is not some idea, some thought out in the cosmos out there, but God is here with us. And so whatever it is you go through, whatever situation you find yourself in, God is with you. He's not distant. And that changes everything. We, we, we saw that during the, the, the day of the crucifixion that everything changed because Jesus became our sacrifice. That Jesus took our sin, our regret, our rebellion, everything that made us wrong with God, he took it on himself. And when Jesus died, our sin died, and he made us right with God. And so the day of the crucifixion changed everything. Another day where everything changed is the day of the resurrection. We, we saw that that changed everything because God conquered the grave. That God was bigger than death. And so he rose up out of the grave, and he offers us that kind of resurrection life. And so we saw that in those three days, everything changed. But today, I want to talk to you about a different day. Not a day in history, 
But today, right now, this moment, the present, this day when everything in your life could change. Because uh, in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision that can change everything for you. But before I give you that opportunity, uh, I want to I tell you my story that led to this decision. Uh, I didn't really grow up going to church. Uh, I went to like a church daycare when I was younger, and, but that was about it. But we didn't really, I didn't grow up going to church. I did, we didn't really have a religious family or anything like that. Uh, but when I was 13 years old, I had this desire to go to church, and so I was talking to my parents about it, and um, we started visiting different churches. Uh, but our experience was that for every church that we stepped into, it was like when we stepped through the doors, we took a step back in time, right? Like it was like we were visiting the 1950s or something. It, was, it, was, we, it, it didn't really resonate with us because each church had its own culture. You had to dress a certain way. You had to talk a certain way, and none of it really resonated with us, and also at around that time, I started going to a Bible study that uh, my friend was hosting at his house. It was for high school students, and I didn't know anything about Christianity, so I went, and I just asked a, a lot of questions because I wanted to know about this faith, but the number one answer that I got from people as I just asked them about Christianity and what they believe and what about this and what about this, the number one answer that I got from people was, I don't know, and, and and it's okay to not know, right? It's okay to, to not have the answers to everything. But these people didn't know anything, right? Like, I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? Because I wanted to know. I wanted to know more about Christianity. Because if I was going to give my life to this, I wanted to know what I was giving my life to. And the number one answer I got was, I don't know. Or, or, or they said, well, in the Bible it says blah, blah, blah. And, and I didn't even know that I could trust the Bible. I didn't know why, why should I even believe the Bible. But I asked, well, where in the Bible does it say that? Just because I wanted to see it for myself. And they said, well, I don't know but it's in there. Or, or, or they would say, well, my pastor says blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I started thinking, yeah, but what do you believe? Like, it's great that your pastor knows what, he's, what he believes, but what do you believe? Like, like can, can you explain that to me? And so as a 13-year-old trying to discover God, I was turned off um, by people that I met who didn't really know what they believed in. And it's like they gave their life to this thing, but they didn't really know what they were living for. And so I gave up my search on God because I didn't want to just have a blind faith. Like, I didn't want to just, just look the other way and say, okay, I believe this. I wanted to know what I believed. I wanted evidence. I wanted to, to know that this was real and that this was true. And so I gave up my search for God. And probably a few months after giving up on God, um, our family was invited to visit another church. And so we went uh, to check out this other church. And uh, it was your typical church. It was your standard church. It was like all the other churches that we went to. But for some reason, we stayed and so we just kept going week after week after week. And, and as we continued to go there, uh, I started to contemplate this question, that if God really is who he says he is, if God really is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, if the Bible is true, and I can place my trust in it, if this is real, then the decision that I make about God is the most important decision I'll ever make in my life. And, and, and so I started to contemplate that truth. If God really is real, the decision I make about him is the most important decision I'll ever make in my life because it impacts not just my eternity, but it impacts right now. It impacts how I live. It impacts who I am today. And I want to tell you today that the decision that you make about God is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life, more important than who you'll marry, more important than whether or not you'll have kids, more important than where you'll live. The decision about what you do with God is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And really it comes down to this. Will you accept him or will you reject him? 
Will you accept him or will you reject him? And it's a decision that you have to make. Like nobody can make it for you. You can't make it for, for somebody else, but it's a decision that you have to make for you. And it's a decision that you have to make. You have to make this decision. Will you accept God or will you reject him? And a decision to not decide is a decision to reject him. Because every day that you put it off, you're rejecting God. And God lays this decision before you. Will you accept me or will you reject me? And you don't have to make that decision today. But my hope is that for some of you, you would make that decision today. That, that, that you, would, you would make the decision and say, God, I've run from you for too long. I've turned my back on you for too long. I'm going to, to accept you. I'm going to come towards you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again from the dead. And today, I'm going to be baptized into you. And so I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision a bit later. But before we do that, uh, I want to show you uh, an instance in history where somebody was faced with that same decision. And so if you have a Bible, would you open up to Acts chapter 8, verse 26? Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, and we'll also have the words for you on the screen as well. Uh, but Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, <clears throat> to give a bit of context before we read this, here, here's what's happened. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus has died and, um, or I'm sorry, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born and it was God in the flesh, God among us, and he lived on this earth for 33 years. And then he was betrayed, he was crucified on the cross. When Jesus was crucified, he took our sin on himself and when he died, our sin died with him. When Jesus, that's a good thing, yeah. And so because of that, you can be forgiven. Jesus became our sacrifice. And so Jesus died for us, and then three days later, he didn't stay dead, but he rose again from the dead. And so Jesus resurrected, and that's a good thing, too. And then uh, he showed evidence of his resurrection to his followers. At one time, he even appeared to 500 people at the same time just to say, hey, I'm back, right? And so he shows evidence to people to let them know that he is alive, that he is resurrected. And then Jesus spends about 40 more days here on earth until he ascends to heaven. He like raises up to heaven. And when he does that, he hands the movement of the church into the hands of his followers, into the hands of his disciples. And so this movement of the church is given to his disciples. By the way, this movement of the church is in our hands now. Like, if you're a Christian this morning, the movement of the church is in your hands now. That's why we believe that church is more than just a chair. The church is not some place that we just come and sit and talk about, but church is a movement. And that's why we talk about giving. That's why we talk about serving. That's why we talk about bringing people and getting in community. Because we are part of a movement. This isn't an organization. This isn't some place. This isn't some country club. But we are part of a movement. And Jesus gives the movement of the church to his followers. And about 10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven is the day of Pentecost. This is the birth of the church. What happens is a lot of Jesus' followers, about 120 of them are gathered in this room. God's spirit comes on them and then they leave the room. They go into the city of Jerusalem and they start preaching to people. And uh, Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, is preaching this sermon to like thousands and thousands of people. And the Bible records that 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus that day. 3,000 people believed that Jesus died for them, and 3,000 people were baptized that day. That was the birth of the church. And so this movement has launched now. But as time goes on, um, the, 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 the movement continues to grow and grow. And, and some of the Jewish leaders and some of the religious leaders don't like this. 
because they're losing power now. And so this persecution breaks out on the church in Jerusalem. And, and, and the persecution was started to, to, to squash the movement. But really what the persecution did was it added momentum to the movement because the church in Jerusalem scatters. All these Christians leave Jerusalem, but then they go to the known Roman world and they start telling people about Jesus. Like, the, so what was meant to end the church actually ignites this movement all around the Roman world because they start telling people about Jesus everywhere they go. And by the way, that's what you should do as well. If God has changed you, if God has done something in your life, you should be telling people about Jesus, not in an obnoxious way where you're like, turn or burn, but instead you should be telling people about what God is doing in your life. Hey, let me tell you about how Jesus is changing me. Hey, I'm a part of this church. Let me tell you about what's going on Christmas Eve. You should come. Like, like you should just be telling people about what God is doing in your life because people should be seeing you and say, hey, you got joy. Like, you got some hope. There's something different about you. What is it? And you say, oh, you really want to know? I don't think you want to know. All right, I'll tell you. And then you just tell people about what Jesus is doing in your life. That, that's what these people were doing. They were scattered throughout the Roman world, and they were telling people about Jesus. And then churches started popping up all over the Roman world. And so the movement of the church gained momentum because of the persecution. And this is where Acts chapter 8, verse 26, picks up. Uh, the persecution has just broke out. Philip is, is traveling around, and uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And so, so Philip is... Uh, is just traveling down this road, and then God says to him, hey, go to this road. Now, God doesn't say to him uh, how far he wants him to go. He doesn't tell him exactly what he's doing. He just says, hey, I want you to go. And, and, and he doesn't explain anymore. And see, sometimes God will do this in our life, right? Like, like I, I don't know about you, but, but I, want, I want to know what's going to happen a year from now. Or, or two years from now, or, or five years from now. I want to see the plan. I want to see the whole road map. I want to I just put it in Google Maps and see the whole route, right? I just want to see where I'm going. I don't want a turn-by-turn navigation because I don't, I, I don't really like that. I like to plan ahead. But, but often, God, God won't do that in our lives. See, sometimes, sometimes we want to know what God's will is for our life, and he doesn't reveal the whole picture to us. And so we're wondering... Well, what should I do here, or what should I do there, or what should I, and, and here's what Philip does, and this is what I think we should do. He just did what God told him to do. That was it. He didn't have the whole picture. It didn't make sense, but he just did what God told him to do. And so, so what is the last thing God told you to do? Then do that. But, but I've been doing that for years. We'll keep doing it. Do that. What, what is the last thing God told you to do? Then do that. I was, um, I was working out at Planet Fitness one day. I don't work out at Planet Fitness no more. I'm at One Life Fitness now. Uh, I had to, had to upgrade, <laughs> you know. But, um, but I was working out at Planet Fitness one day, and uh, I was in the locker room, and this guy, he was talking to me, and uh, he found out that I was a pastor and that I was launching a church. And then he just started telling me his story. And one of the things that he said was, like, I feel like something's missing. I feel like this turmoil in my life. I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something else. He was a manager of a, of, of a furniture store. And he said, I feel like I'm, I'm supposed to be doing something else. And I said, what, what do you think that is? And he said, 15 years ago, I felt like God laid it on my heart to be working with the homeless, to do something with the homeless and to help them in their situation. And, and for 15 years, I've said no to that. 
And so I just feel like I should be doing something to help the homeless. And, and that's the thing God had been laying on his heart for 15 years. And for 15 years, he said no. And, and I told him, I said, you need to do what God is calling you to do. It doesn't mean you got to quit your job. It doesn't mean you got to go broke or go into debt or anything like that. But how can you start now helping the homeless? How can you start now doing what God is calling you to do? For many of you, God has been calling you to invite your friend to church and you've been putting it off. He's been calling you to bring them to Christmas Eve and you've been putting it off. For many of you, God has been calling you to, to call your dad and to say, Dad, I know it's been years since we've talked but I just need to forgive you. Like, for some of you, God has been calling you uh, to leave your job and to pursue something greater. For others of you, God is calling you to sit down with your spouse and say, uh, hey, there's this thing in my life that I've been keeping a secret from you, and I can't keep it a secret any longer because I want healing because I want wholeness in our relationship. What is God calling you to do? Do that. Whatever it is God is calling you to do, do that. And see, God calls Philip to go down this road, and, and, and he doesn't know why, he doesn't really know what's, what's gonna happen, and, 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 and sometimes there are situations in our life where we just wonder, why is this happening? God, I'm in this situation, why is this happening to me? And, and if God were to come and explain it all to you, you wouldn't really understand it. But, but later on, and, and you know because you've experienced this in your life, you've lived something out, you've gotten down the road, and then you've looked back and you said, oh, now I get it. Oh, that makes sense, right? You've experienced that. We've all experienced that. We've, we've gone through something. We've gotten down the road, and we said, oh, now I see why this happened. So whatever it is you're going through now, remember your past experiences. In the same way, God will allow us to go through things that we don't always understand, that we don't always know what's going to happen, but eventually, one day, maybe, we'll look back and say, oh, okay, now it makes sense. So even though you don't understand, even though God might be calling you to do something that doesn't make sense, do what God is calling you to do. And so he says to Philip, go down this road. And as he goes, he meets this, this Ethiopian eunuch. I won't really go into what a eunuch is all that much. If you're not sure what a eunuch is, you can, you can do the research on your own. You can Google it and find that out. But, um, but, but he finds this Ethiopian eunuch who's in charge of the treasury of Ethiopia. He's a pretty prestigious guy. And, and, and when he comes across this guy, um, Acts chapter 8, verse 27 continues on. It says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home... Um, was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading out uh, from, from the scroll of Isaiah. And verse 29, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, so, so go down the road. Well, I don't really know what's going to happen, but God, because you said so, I will. Uh, go to that chariot. Okay, I don't really know why you want me to go to this chariot, but because you said so, I will. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading the prophet, uh, reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And if, if you laughed at that, it's because you know what a eunuch is. <laughs> or you thought I sounded funny, but uh, so look up what a eunuch is. But, but he says, do you know what you're reading? He said, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me. Oh, now I get it. God. So God, you wanted me to go to this road. It didn't make sense. But you wanted me to go to this road. You wanted me to go up to that chariot. It didn't make sense at the time. And then I heard this guy reading this. Oh, 
you wanted me to come here this whole time so that I could intersect with this man here and explain to him what he's reading. Oh, it didn't make sense back here, but I did what you told me to do, and so now, now I see it. How can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I want to take a moment to tell you the good news about Jesus. See, if we, if we could be in the chariot with Philip and the eunuch, and we just listen to the conversation that Philip said to him, I think, I think we would hear something like this. See, he starts off, the, the, the man is reading this passage from Isaiah, and it says this, he was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. And like a lamb taken to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought of his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. If we were in the chariot, I could see, as the eunuch says, hey, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or somebody else? Who, who is it? And, and I could see Philip saying, do you really want to know? You really want me to tell you? All right. Well, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. See, Isaiah the prophet, he wrote this 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And he was talking about this one who would come to, to redeem the world, to, to set the world free. And, and Jesus was born it was God in the flesh, and he lived among us, and Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived the life that we can't live. And look, I don't think I need to convince you that, that you're an imperfect person. I think we all get that. I think we all understand, Mr. Eunuch Man, that none of us have it all together. All of us are jacked up, right? We've all sinned, and because of our sin, we deserve the wrath of God. See, God punishes sin and sinners alike, and God's wrath is hurtling toward us to consume us but before he poured out his punishment on us God provided a sacrifice God provided his own son to take our place God was born into the earth to, to, to live among us to be one of us to identify with us and to take our place and this man Jesus he was betrayed and he was hung up on a cross and when Jesus hung on the cross he, in some mysterious way, took your sin and my sin, all of our sin, everyone's sin, past, present, and future, everyone who's ever lived. He took all the things that, that we regret, all the things that are wrong with us. He took it on himself. And when Jesus died, our sin died with him. And because of that, God's wrath was satisfied. Because of that, our punishment was paid. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose again from the dead. And that's the gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. And that's what Isaiah was writing about. That you could have life through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so this is, this is most likely what, the, what, what Philip said to the eunuch. And he said, and here's, 
Here's then how you accept that life. See, God has given you a gift. And the way that we accept that gift is to believe that Jesus died for us on the cross. And then to be baptized into him. I'm really confident that Philip said this because as Acts chapter 8 continues on, it says, uh, verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So Philip tells him the gospel, the good news, and then as they're traveling, they see water, and the eunuch says, look, there's water. What stands in my way? Why shouldn't I be baptized? See, see the eunuch believes that Jesus died for him. He believes that he rose again from the dead. They come across water, and he says, why shouldn't I be baptized? Look, here's water. Why shouldn't you be baptized? See, the eunuch that day, he didn't set out looking to be baptized. He didn't plan on getting baptized that day when he set out on his journey. But he intersected with the gospel of Jesus. He received that good news, and he got baptized. He stopped everything so that he could accept that gift. Many of you today, you didn't wake up coming here planning on getting baptized. Um, but we've been planning for you. We've been preparing for you. Notice, notice too, that, that when, when the, the eunuch hears the gospel, uh, there are some things he doesn't do. Like he doesn't say, well, that's really interesting. Here, let me think about it, right? He, he, he doesn't say, well, that's really interesting. Let me pray about it. But instead, he comes across the opportunity. He has the opportunity to make a decision to accept Jesus, and he seizes that opportunity. He jumps at that opportunity, and he gets baptized that day. Because, you know, there, there are some things you and I, we don't need to pray about. I don't know if that seems sacrilegious to you, but, but you and I, we just don't need to pray about some things because God makes very clear in his word some of the things that we should do. Like, like, for instance, you don't need to pray whether or not you should sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Like, God makes it very clear that you should avoid sexual immorality, right? We, we don't need to pray about whether or not we should serve within the church. God makes it very clear to us that, yes, if you're a Christian, you should serve within his body. Um, we, we, we don't need to pray about... God, should I give the first 10% of my income back to you? God makes it very clear in his word that yes, if you're a Christian, you bring back the tithe to him. You don't need to pray about God, should I get baptized? Because what we see is that when people respond to the message of Jesus, when people believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, they respond by getting baptized. And I want to explain to you why we baptize people. I want to explain to you what happens in baptism. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave you a gift. Jesus took all of your sin, all of my sin on himself. When he died, it died. And on the cross, Jesus forgave everybody who's ever lived on this earth, past, present, and future. He's given us the gift of forgiveness. And what we need to do then is simply reach out and accept that gift. See, just like with any gift, you can have a, a gift for you this Christmas underneath the tree and it's wrapped nice and neat, and has your name on it, and you're like, oh man, that's my gift. And you look at it, and you say, hey, that's my gift. You, you can call people over and say, look, look at my gift. Y'all see my gift? But look, that's not your gift until you reach under the tree, unwrap it, and claim it as yours. It could sit under the tree forever, but it's not your gift until you reach out and accept it. In the same way, God has given you a gift that sat under the tree for 2,000 years. And the question is, will you reach out, grab hold of that gift, and accept it? 
the way we accept the gift of God is to believe that Jesus died for us, to believe that he rose again from the dead and that he was our sacrifice, that he paid our penalty. And the place that we accept that is in baptism. We believe that Jesus died for us. We confess it with our mouth. We confess it with our life. We say, God, I've been following my way. I want to follow your way now. And then we get baptized into him. Romans chapter 6 paints an amazing picture of what happens in baptism. It says this. Um, <clears throat> that is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. When we get baptized, we're buried with Christ in the water, and then we come up a brand new creation uh, into a new life, a true life, a resurrected life. And today, I just want to extend the opportunity for you to decide to get baptized, for you to accept Jesus, for you to stand with Jesus, for you to identify with Jesus. See, again, the eunuch, when he set out that day, he wasn't looking for water, but he came across water. He wasn't looking to get baptized, but the decision was presented to him, and he jumped at it. This morning, you didn't come looking for water, but here it is. You didn't come making the decision to get baptized, planning on getting baptized, but now you have the opportunity to. And maybe you grew up with all sorts of different ideas about baptism, right? Perhaps for some of you, um, you come from a tradition where you were baptized as a baby, and um, that was your parents saying, hey, we want you to live for God. We want this life for you. It was your parents really uh, kind, of, kind of interceding their faith into your life, saying, we want this for you. And, and, and what we see in Scripture is that when people get baptized, it's because they believe that Jesus died for them, that, that, that he rose again from the dead. And so maybe you've been baptized as a baby. That was Doug's story, who you just saw get baptized. Um, but it's a decision you have to make. Nobody can make that for you. And if you decide to get baptized, it's not going against your parents' wishes. It's not going against what they did, but it's really affirming what they did for you. It's like you're saying, Mom, Dad, thank you so much for what you wanted for me, and now I'm agreeing with you. Now I'm standing with you making that decision on my own as well. So thank you for what you wanted for me. I want that for me now. And it's a decision that you have to make. Maybe, maybe you, you had this concept that, that baptism was all about joining a church. That's not the case here. We, you can't join our church. We don't have membership, okay? So it's not like being baptized into our church. What we do is we, we talk about participation. If you say, hey, the rising is my church, then we encourage you to be an owner, not a member, because because members have privileges and expect a whole bunch of things, but owners take ownership of it, and they say, this is my church, not the church I go to. So we want people to participate and be a part of what we're doing. Uh, but it's not about joining a church. And, and, and maybe some of you never even knew what baptism was about until today. Wherever you are on that spectrum, today you have the opportunity to make the decision. And again, maybe you weren't planning on getting baptized, but here's the thing. With the eunuch, 
God had been preparing and planning for him to get baptized for his whole life. He, he, he planned and prepared so much that he sent Philip to join him on the road. And uh, he planned and prepared so much that on the road that they were going on, there was water that was there before him. In the same way, God has been planning and preparing for this moment for you. Not only has God been planning and preparing for this, but we've been planning and preparing for you to make this decision. Uh, a few of us got here yesterday and we set this up because we knew five people were going to get baptized today. You saw three earlier. We'll see two more afterwards. Um, but we knew five people were going to get baptized today. And we also came believing that more people would make the decision. And maybe you say, well, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, I don't have clothes to get changed into. Like, I didn't come ready for baptism. That's okay. We've been preparing for you. We got clothes for you. And so if you didn't come ready to get baptized, we're ready for you. We got a change of clothes for you. We'll give you shorts. We'll give you men's underwear, women's underwear. Hopefully you'll wear the right one. We got men's underwear, women's underwear. We got a sports bra. We'll give you a shirt that you can keep. Um, we, we even got a hair dryer if you need to dry your hair. We'll give you a towel. Like we've thought of everything so that you can get baptized. And maybe, maybe you say, well, but, but what about my kids? Well, you can go up to our kids' ministry, check them out, and they can come and celebrate with you during that. You may say, yeah, but my family's not here. My, my parents aren't here. My friends aren't here. I want them to celebrate with me. Well, we have two professional photographers who are going to take your picture, and we're going to be filming it, and we'll send it to you so you can send it to them, and they can celebrate with you. We've tried to think of everything because just like the eunuch said, here's water. What stands in my way? We wanted to take out every roadblock. We wanted to take out every excuse. We wanted to take everything away so that you could say, here's water. What stands in my way? Nothing. Nothing. Today, you have the opportunity to stand with Jesus, to identify with him, and say, today, December 21st, 2014, was the day that my life changed forever. Maybe you think, well, I'm not good enough to get baptized. You're not. None of us are. But God makes us good enough through his son Jesus on the cross. Maybe you think, well, I got to get some stuff straight in my life first before I get baptized. No, you don't. Because if you could get your life straight, you wouldn't need Jesus. And so wherever you are, whatever the case is, if you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, you have the opportunity today. And we have an advantage over the eunuch. See, he heard the message of Jesus for the first time. For many of us, we've heard the message of Jesus several times in our life. He heard the first time and he responded. For many of us, we've heard several times. And so what will you decide to do? What will you decide to do? See, that day he was looking at dirty water. Today we're looking at clean water, right? That day he had heard for the first time. This day many of you have heard several times. So what stands in your way? We're going to give you the opportunity to make that decision now. Uh, in a moment we're going to take communion. And we've set up communion around the room. And we did this so that you would have to get up to go take communion. We did that so that if you say, that's it, I've, I've been putting this off long enough, I want to make the decision, or maybe it's your first time, and you say, I want to stand with Jesus. Like I said, we've got two more people who are going to get baptized. Um, we've already planned on that. Um, but if you say, I want to stand with Jesus, I want to make that decision, as we all get up to take communion, you should make your way right to the back. And we have some people on our VIP team who would love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you, answer any questions you have take you to a changing room. It's a private changing room. We have one for men, one for women. You don't have to share that. And so um, we'll take you to a private changing room. You can leave your stuff there, come right down. And during 
um, during the song when we take up our offering, we can baptize you. And so here's water, what stands in the way. As we take communion, there's trays around the room and there's stacks of cups in each tray. The top cup has a, uh, some juice that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for us. The bottom cup has some bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. We do this to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Again, if you need to make the decision, if you say, I want to accept Jesus, I want to stand with him, I want to identify with him, go to the back. We want to talk with you as we're doing communion. But some of you, many of you, have already accepted Jesus. Many of you have already been baptized into him, but you still have a decision to make. You don't get off the hook easy. You and I, we have a decision to make, and it's a decision that we need to make every single day. And the decision that we need to make is, will we live like it? Will we live like it? If you've accepted Jesus, the decision you have to make is, will you live like it? Will you embrace freedom and forgiveness, or will you continue to live as a victim of your past, overshadowed by your sin? Will you live like it? Will you, will you live like, will you embrace love, hope, and joy, or will you continue to gossip and assume the worst and, 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 and worry about everything? Will you live like it? Will you finally forgive? Or will you continue to nurse the grudge? Will you live like it? Will you set boundaries with your boyfriend and girlfriend and say, we're going to pursue sexual purity in our relationship until we get married? Or will you continue to cross lines and do all sorts of things that God intended just for marriage? Will you live like it? You and I, we have a decision to make. If you've already accepted Jesus, will you live like it? Will you show the world the life God Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray you are inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information on The Rising, visit wearetherising.com.